Today's first scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and can be found on pages 1195 to 1196 of your pure Bibles. Please follow along. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Christ, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and can be found on page 1196 of your Pew Bibles. Please follow along. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermenuus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, 
there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who, clean, who cleanse themselves from the latter will be the instrument for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. This too is a word of the Lord. So welcome to each one of you who have been able to come today. Also welcome to those of you who are joining us on Zoom this day. And again, we just uh, uh, deeply appreciate everyone who's made the effort to come, particularly to this Harvest Festival Day. Very special day that we are thankful for what God has given us. And I'm also very thankful that today we're focusing on this special mission in Moldova. You know, what they are doing... There's no one else doing it. And in a situation where if they didn't do it, there would be nothing. And this is a unique opportunity that we have to help. And also, those of you who are parents who have uh, helped your children, whatever those beautiful things were they brought, they look absolutely scrumptious and delicious. And I know that not all the children made those. Parents, you participated. Thank you. And also thank you for bringing your children into church. You established something there which is incredibly important. And as we uh, look at these things, I just want to say thank you because the whole book of 2 Timothy that we are having these four sermons from, it deals with that situation of how does it move what one believes, how does what one believes and know is true, what one has experienced about God in their life, how does that move from one generation to the next? And as we get into chapter 2, what we are going to find is that Timothy is, go- excuse me, Timothy is going to be instructed by Paul that, Timothy, you invest your life into people who are going not only able to hear and understand as God's Spirit enables them to do so, but they are going to also then take this very same message and go on. You know, and so what happens is you have Paul, one generation, who gives to Timothy, generation number two, who instructs Timothy, you find those in whom you can invest, generation number three, and then he says, and they will go on to generation number four. 
I want to challenge you before we do anything else this morning or this afternoon. I want you to move away in your Christian thinking from I want to survive myself. Now some days that is a very accurate thought. But I want you in your intent and your purpose of life to move to the four generation concept. And if you see that, that you live your life, you move with people, you invest your life into people simply because you want them and the next ones and the next ones and the next ones to follow God. My own mother, who lived to be 98 and a half, when we as siblings came together and celebrated her 95th birthday, God had given her a very acute and accurate mind right to the very end. And so she then would quote for us a psalm. And then she quoted 1 John chapter 1. And then she would name all of her children for whom she prayed daily by name. And then she would name all of her grandchildren who she prayed for daily by name. And then she would name every great-grandchild that she daily prayed for name. You'll see it captured the four-generation concept. And uh, it's interesting to see her prayers being answered. And so I would just say this as we begin. Now remember we came out of Timothy chapter 1. And in Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to Timothy... It's a different book of the New Testament than any other. You remember from last week, we said it is not like the book of Romans, which is more of a logical laying out of what it means to be lost, be a sinner, and then how faith comes and how then God's spirit enters into us as we repent, crying, Abba, Father, and our spirit responds to him, Abba, Father, and there is this transition, there is this eternal work that happens, and then it goes on to tell us how we then therefore live. But this book is like Paul's last will and testament. He is saying to Timothy the very essentials. Last week I said it's as if he had a five-minute Zoom call from prison, and he knew that the person who was going to take his life was coming in a, the next day. What would one say? And this is what we find written here. And the very first thing is, Timothy, I am convinced that in you is this sincere faith, this reality, the real truth. You understand it. And then he comes to him and says, now, Timothy, if you're going to live that out and see and experience the will of God for your life, then you need to, he says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. In other words, he's reflecting there comes this moment in life when kind of the burning desire to follow, to serve, to do what God would have us to do, it is as if it is covered with, 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 with ash. And actually, these teachings, I'm so glad we're reading this in Zurich. Some places in the country I come from, they have forgotten what fire is like. We never use it anymore. But here, as I walk about in your children's playgrounds and parks, they've actually got a place where you can 
I think it's grilled de Vusta. I don't know exactly what you do with it, but they have wood and they have fire, and everyone learns what fire is like. My wife, who comes from Southern California, who didn't need heat in their home, and then we moved to Vienna, where we had, in our first little place with two rooms, had a coal stove. This is antique stuff. But I had to learn how to keep my wife from freezing. And I learned that you had to take out the ashes and you had to put in new fuel and you had to adjust the, the flow of all of the oxygen coming in. And, and all those generations reading this would have understood, ah, when I spiritually get kind of dead, I need to clean out. I need to renew. I need to adjust the flame of God's spirit coming into my life. I'm going to ask you, how many of you this last week have taken away some of the ash? Again and again, Paul's going to point that out to Timothy. These are the things. And so we go to that and he says, not ashamed. And at the end of chapter 1, he says, take what you have learned, follow me, and follow the instructions and allow God the Spirit to guard them in your life. Then in chapter 2, as he begins, he says, then you, my child... Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me, then he talks about this idea of four generations committing it to those who can go on with it. That concept is very important to me, what he says. There is strength. There is power. There is the building up. There is the energy of God in the grace. Often we think about grace of God simply as that thing I didn't deserve. And yet Paul now speaks about the idea of God being in us and living in us, providing us strength to do that which we need to do. Now, chapter 2 is written a bit like a song. He's going to tell him and give him actually three examples. There are patterns here that God's Spirit has inspired as he puts it in and as we study it. He's going to tell him three things that he can do and three examples of what he can be like in his spiritual life. And then it's like a chorus comes. It's like that stanza one. This is what you can do. And then comes a chorus which tells him and repeats to him the greatness of God. And that God wants to be at work in your life. And then he goes into stanza two. And here he has said in stanza one, this is what you do. And then he traces carefully for him, this is who you become. And when he reaches the end of those three examples, he has three here and then three here. And then he once again repeats that chorus of this is the very purpose of God in your life. And the very first thing he writes, the very first three examples, he says, now I want you to do this. Join with me in suffering. And he uses three examples. The first he said, like a soldier. And then he's going to say, like an athlete. And then thirdly, like a farmer. And so they are like, they are examples, but also I can imagine in his mind, they are a word picture. And the very first thing he says about soldier, if I would have thought I was a soldier, well, yes, he's battling and he's doing all of this stuff. And, 
But no, look what Paul points out about the very specific focus about a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits or, or whatever since his aim is to please either the one enlisting him or his office, commanding officer. Do you see what he's saying about soldier? He's not saying, I want you to learn how to fight. That comes later in, in Ephesians at the end. Put on the armor of God that you can stand and you can actually by faith resist evil. But in this one, he's saying the very first characteristic of a soldier is you must learn to say no to sometimes even that which is good. So you can say yes to God. And I don't know about you, but I'm an old geezer. And I would find this the greatest challenge of Christian life. To be able to say no. Sometimes it's very evident and very easy because we know we should say no. But sometimes there's this moment when we know in the depth of our soul we need to say no to that which seems to be good so we can say yes to God in a deeper, more full, and unbelievable way. Let me share my heart. Last week we had our son here and we deeply enjoyed the four days together. And then as he left was on the train and <laughs> anyway I was sitting in my room feeling uh, grumpy old people do that you know <laughs> and I was sensing a bit of grump oh my I love you all but I love my son more and all of a sudden I said they're here and he's going God have I got this mixed up and I must admit, I struggled with that. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, as he's going to say a bit later, you think about this, Timothy, and the Lord will give you insight. And all of a sudden, in my mind, as I was sitting there, and you know, men, we have a diagram of our mind would be a series of boxes, where women, they say a diagram is an unending uh, spaghetti noodle. Everything is connected, and for men, everything is in a box, and every man has a box that is entitled nothing. <laughs> and sometimes you'll ask a man, and you'll say, what are they you thinking about? And they will say, nothing. That's the box. And I was in the nothing box. And all of a sudden, a verse which I had not read for months, nor had I been thinking about, all of a sudden it exploded in my mind. Where the Lord Jesus says, and he who has given up family or friends or this or that will receive for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold in this life an eternal life in eternity. Do you know what that did to my soul? It took me out of the nothing and grumpy box and brought me into the truth of God reality and sometimes friends it is not simple to learn to say no to that which is good so you can say yes to God in a bigger more important dimension but we will never grow unless so the first thing he says Timothy, look at this, become a soldier. And then the second thing he says, look at this, Timothy, another example, become an athlete. And no athlete receives the victor's crown unless he runs according to the rules. 
And let me just read for you like Paul writes, or someone writes, excuse me, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes this in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, similar as the soldier, and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Gives us instruction. Run. Put aside. But look to Jesus. And uh, so he's saying to them, an athlete who wins, wins according to the rules. Here's the second thing that Timothy had to calculate. What then therefore? are the rules of God by which I must live my life. What are the rules of God in each of our lives? How do we take the great commandment, therefore you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. How is that then brought into our lives? And there are just many, many, many examples. If you went back to the Old Testament, you'd find David who when he came to bring bread and cheese to his soldier brothers in Saul's army, and they saw every day this giant come out, and he would challenge the armies of Israel, saying, send someone to to battle with me. It's very interesting how this young boy, probably a teenager, early youth, or early years anyway, all of a sudden inside of him came this truth. He is not challenging the armies of Israel, he's challenging God. And you have this little young man who takes five stones, and you know the rest of the story. But of course, it never ends there. He's made king. And then as king, one day, he commits adultery. Life gets messy. This one who's committed himself to God and knew that it was for God he was doing this. And in the name of God he did it. And then life got messy. But then comes Psalm 51. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Take not your spirit from me. Restore my soul. There is a man who knew how to play, how to run, how to live life according to the rules of God, even when it was messy. So he tells him, be a soldier. Be be an athlete. And thirdly, he says, and then be a farmer. Look what he says about farmers. And he says he works hard and he harvests. And he shares with the harvest. Wow. Whatever it's going to take for us to actually run and do the will of God well for our lives, it is actually going to be hard work. We often think of faith that that's something easy. It's just something that happens in my heart and my soul. It it, it is simple. And when I have time, and if we have that attitude, then very often we'll come back to the point where we say, to ourselves, well, if I have time, I will. If I don't have time, I will not. Or I may get it, do it later. But I want to tell you that following God, Paul is pointing out to Timothy, is actually hard work like a farmer. Now, I'm a farmer's son. 
And I'll tell you, that's true. If you don't actually take and make the choices like the soldier to say, today I'm going to read my Bible. I know I've got all kinds of things to do, but I'm going to do that. Or this moment I'm going to do this, or this moment I'm going to follow God. It is hard work. Jesus told a parable about a farmer who went out to sow. You remember the story? And he said that he sowed the seed, and eventually it'll be explained that seed is God's word. And he said some of that fell on good soil and it grew and there was a hundredfold harvest. It's all about harvest, farmer. And then he said some fell on rocky ground and it started and looked great and then it was choked out. Then some fell among thorns and it started and they also took away the life from it. And so one of the lessons I would say about working hard as a farmer How is your heart? If that soil that he told about, that parable was your and my heart, what condition is our heart in? When the word of God comes, the truth of God comes, does it find fertile, rich soil? Does it grow and produce fruit? Or is it finding itself growing in a bunch of rocks? I don't know if you've ever been a farmer's relation. We used to gather the cousins to pick rocks. Because where we lived every winter, the winter would push more rocks to the surface. I find the older I get, the more that analogy fits my heart. There are those things which I was even unaware of that all of a sudden struggles and whatever in life pushes to the surface and there comes this moment where God's spirit says okay Dennis it is now time to pick rock in your heart and if one does not remove those rocks whatever they may be the idea of it just taking away the vitality is so true or thistles and thorns you have to pull them out by the root you know You cannot leave part. What an application for life. Can I just ask you, is your heart, you have any rocks in your heart? Spiritual, I mean. Do you have any thorns, thistles? Things that just really go deep? Maybe things that you have chosen not to forgive? And the animosity or the anger or the bitterness just grows deeper. I would say to you, God's spirit would say, today is a day to take those out. And as Paul is going to tell Timothy, Timothy, you cannot do it on your own, but it's God's power who does that. And he would say, think about these things, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is this moment where he starts to reflect upon the greatness of God as you allow God to use your mind and your thought how God then brings his truth into our mind and we begin to understand not only the truth, but how it can be true for us. And then he goes on and writes in these next verses, like I mentioned, this course, and he reflects upon Christ, who is the eternal glory, the one who died and the one who was prophesied as David's son. But then look at the contrast he makes about Jesus. I find that Christian life is you take this truth 
And then maybe this truth, which doesn't always seem to be in total unity with this truth, but you take this in one hand, and you take this truth in another hand, and you go forward with God. That's Christian balance. Christian reality, look what he says. If you have died with him, you will live with him. Wow. You need both. And he goes on and says, if we endure, we will reign. Two almost incongruent truths, but they are true. And then he goes on further and says, not only that, but if, look at this one, oh my. If we deny him, he will deny us. But then he adds very quickly, and if we are faithless, but then he says, there the difference is God remains faithful. Isn't that amazing? God does not change. And he's truth. Then he goes on in these last verses. (laughs) And I have three minutes to finish the last half of the chapter. You laugh because you know this happens to me almost every week, doesn't it? Let me just say, in the next half of the chapter, what he does is he moves from examples of the soldier and the farmer and the athlete to stages and, and spiritual happenings within his life. He says, first, you should become an approved worker who knows how to handle and is not ashamed to handle the word of truth. And when you go back today, you read these verses. And if you could underline, if you're an underliner in your Bible, or if not, then just mark them or write them outside or on your handheld. And there, if you follow the idea of truth through, And what he's going to say is one of the very first things, Timothy, is you have to know truth, but you also have to know how to present and handle truth. And eventually he's going to come and say, because if you don't, he gives these two examples, Hymenus and Pilatus, who have swerved from the truth. You see, the word he says, handle truth, in the Greek it means you cut it straight. That doesn't mean you're harsh because you get to the last one and he's going to say, no, you tell them truth in all gentleness. Because who knows? There's this beautiful concept where he comes and says, Timothy, who knows when God will? And so, handling of truth. And in our generation, this generation, handling of truth is so important. So that's the first step, he says, and you will then keep people on the right way of their faith. And then the second thing, from verses 20 on through 22, there's this little household description. He says, in a great house there are vessels which are gold, silver, wood, and clay, some for good use, others for not so honorable use. And then listen to the spiritual principle he brings. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set aside as a holy, useful in the master's house, ready for every good work. So first, you become a worker for God who can handle truth correctly. Second stage, he says, you will become a vessel of God's that God can use for this purpose. The example I find very revealing. He said, in a house, there are clay vessels. Those are really pretty common. There are wooden vessels. That's In our world, that's what you would cut the bread on. And then there are silver 
and there are gold. Those are for special, special moments. Now, if I understand what he's saying is, if you cleanse yourself and allow God to cleanse you in the clay stage, you can move to the wooden stage. And allowing God to work even more, you can move to the silver stage. Now, I know it doesn't work that way and so simply, but I have found that to be a blessing. God's program of developing us. I have also found the fact that I would tend to identify myself in the clay division. Sometimes you think, my, we're not so useful. But then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes an absolutely unforgettable verse. He says there, but we have this treasure of God in clay vessels that the glory of God could shine out. A more modern translation says it this way. And we have this glory, this treasure of God in cracked clay pots that everyone sees the glory is God's. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. We're in Zurich, so probably you don't have any clay pots out here. I am. I can identify with that, but there are then these moments of life when I've seen the absolute glory of God shine out. And I would say in my life, I've seen God move me from this, and then he's worked in my life, and he's moved me to this, and then he's worked in my life, and he's moved me here. And I would just ask you, where is God moving you now? It will be related to the work of God within your heart. And then he says, finally, and you should be God's servant, the one that is not quarreling or arguing, he says, but with gentleness present the truth. And then this incredible final chorus about God. He says that God may grant to those with whom we're discussing or presenting the truth, may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then look what happens as they understand truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after he has captured them to do his will. In other words, God is saving them. Truth comes in and they're no longer sinners and lost, but they are children of God saved for eternity. But the, just as he says in the book of Colossians, he has moved you from the dominion of evil into the kingdom of his son. Oh, we must never forget that great movement. It's eternal that God moves. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, this is why you handle truth with love and gentleness, but you cut it straight because we never know when God will. Let me close with that as I pray. We never know when God will move in our lives. May he do that today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these examples and illustrations that Timothy has given us, or Paul has given us as he's written to Timothy. And Lord, as we come today, help us to do those things that a soldier would do. Help us to learn how to say no 
and yet at then the same time be able to say yes to you. Help us like an athlete to run according to your rules, that we would be godly. We would set aside those things which are not yours, and we would take up those things which come from you and your spirit. Lord, we would work hard, but we would also have our view and our eyes and our focus upon the eternal harvest that you give in us and in this world. And I ask, Lord, that you might bless each person here, particularly that we would see you developing us as a vessel that you will use. And whatever position or state we have in life today, may we see your spirit and experience the reality of God at work in us. And Lord, we will simply rejoice because it is you who work to do your good will in us. Thank you that we can worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.